companies have essentially felt that they have uh, they can get whatever they want from the political right. And so they th think they can then pander to the left on cultural issues um, with no consequences coming from the other direction. I think companies across the country are going to think twice about uh, adopting that woke ideology because now they know there's a price to pay. I mean Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. This week, we're talking about one of the most dangerous, subversive, and sinister ideologies facing us. It classifies Americans based on the color of their skin. It pits them against one another, casting citizens as either oppressor or oppressed. It's called critical race theory, and it's undermining the very foundation of our republic. It's being pushed everywhere from the Biden administration to our schools, even in classroom instruction. And to make it worse the left will try to gaslight you into believing that this simply isn't true. So, will our educational system and the next generation of Americans be swept away by this new brand of prejudice and intolerance? Or is there hope for us to fight back? It's a question we'll discuss with our guest, Chris Rufo, who's leading the charge on this important fight. Later, we'll also talk about how you can equip yourself not only to identify critical race theory, but to take a stand against it. But first, if this is your first time watching or listening to the show, welcome. Each week on The Kevin Roberts Show, we're charging the hills, taking on the critical issues to keep America free and prosperous. And we're equipping you to join us in that fight, so please be sure to subscribe. But look, let's just start at the top by asking the question, what is critical race theory? It's one of the most common questions I've been asked over the last couple of years because, let's face it, on the, on the surface, critical race theory sounds like a pretty sweet-sounding theory where we just take stock in an honest way about the challenging aspects of American history. But if you're willing to listen to this American historian who studied a thing or two about race and slavery and those ugly episodes of America, trust me, that critical race theory is the false belief that America is systemically racist and also that America is an oppressive society. Ultimately, and I don't use this word often, I don't throw it around in hyperbole, it is a Marxist analysis. It argues that America, just the ordinary business of society, can be reduced to immutable characteristics like the color of our skin. As Richard Delgado put it, its beliefs are then used to justify a root and branch dismantling of society. Look at the original website of the organization Black Lives Matter. They have since changed this, where they explicitly stated these origins, these intellectual origins of their movement. So this Marxist analysis means, if we were to believe the critical race theorists, that there is a racial dominance by whites that has created very purposefully this systemic racism. I can tell you from my time 20, 25 years ago in American higher education, which was bad then and only worse now, that critical race theory was popular, it was being taught in classes, and it has spread from higher ed then over the last couple of decades to mainstream culture. In fact, in all likelihood, you see it in every aspect of your life. It, it's so common that we are surprised when we find it in everything from schoolrooms to boardrooms. It's infected education, corporations, the military, and beyond. And ultimately, what critical race theory does, the sort of root problem that it causes, is that it defies the idea of equality under the law, 
also speaking as an historian, one of the great legacies of the United States of America, in spite of our warts, is our commitment to that notion of equality under the law. So rather than supporting that, critical race theory actually undermines it and all of the progress all of us as Americans have made for it. In education, which is where we'll spend most of our time in this episode, I will remind you that critical race theory is being pushed by teachers, by their unions, by school boards, and by education officials. It is often found under the guise of equity or anti-racism. And look, folks, I understand both of those words, equity and anti-racism, sound really good and really sweet. But anytime you see them, as we'll talk about at the end of this segment, raise a red flag and stop it because ultimately it's just a code for critical race theory. Ultimately, what those code words allow these educrats to get away with is to classify our American children, our innocent American children, into one of two categories, either the oppressor or the oppressed. And the only thing that determines their membership in that particular category or another is the color of their skin. It really is that simple, and it really is that sinister. You might remember several weeks ago, when then-Judge Jackson was being confirmed or in the process of being confirmed to be on the Supreme Court, my friend Senator Ted Cruz of Texas asked her a series of polite but very persistent questions about critical race theory in school books at a private school on which she serves on the, on the particular board. She denied it. Now, perhaps we give her the benefit of the doubt that she was unaware, but that also proves the point about how pervasive and insidious critical race theory is. It's crucial to sum up this point that every member of the United States Senate, whether it's Senator Cruz or people to his political left, understand this is an ideology we simply will not tolerate. And yet, that's going to be difficult. Because very popular efforts like the so-called 1619 Project, advocated by a non-historian, non-journalist at the New York Times, has not only been used in schools, it is extremely well-funded by the left in an attempt to undermine a proper understanding of American history. I can tell you, having been ser having served on the 1776 Commission appointed by President Trump to that, that role, that our objective was to correct the errors of the 1619 Project. And I really want to emphasize this. We weren't suggesting, as members of that commission, that everything that ever happened in American history was great or noble. What we were suggesting is that in order to understand the ideals of the American Project, We've got to tell the truth, and that includes telling the truth about how glorious equality under the law is in the United States. We'll get to more examples soon enough with our special guest, but ultimately, I would sum up by saying this. Critical race theory is everywhere, but especially in our schools. Children are coming home and asking their parents if they're racist because their skin is white. It's happening in higher education, too. It, my alma mater, the University of Texas at Austin, the crazy faculty, faculty council there, passed a resolution supporting teaching of critical race theory. This is in response to the Texas legislature's law passed last year that said they could not. Thankfully, my friend on the faculty, Rich Lowry, spoke up. Thank goodness Rich is tenured because otherwise he would be terminated for speaking up against critical race theory. So much for academic freedom. See, that's not part of this either. Ultimately, the left gaslights opponents of CRT, treating them as fear mongers and bigots. I'll give you another example. 
the Associated Press, once known for objectivity, recently said, there is little to no evidence that critical race theory itself is being taught to K-12 public school students. In an era of outrageous lies by the leftist media, that's the biggest of fake news. Opponents, moreover, are cast as deniers of the history of slavery or racism in America, just as I was, even though I happen to have a graduate degree or two in African-American history, having studied slavery. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your academic credentials are. If you don't subscribe to the ideology of CRT, you are part of the enemy. Sort of sounds like some Marxist countries we know, and that's not a coincidence. But perhaps the most surprising thing to me has been how pervasive CRT is in major corporations. Coca-Cola, a once great corporation, has had mandatory online training that demanded employees, quote unquote, try to be less white. And our favorite example of the spring of 2022, Disney. They gave their employees a, quote unquote, white privilege checklist. Thank goodness they're getting some comeuppance from the Florida legislature and Governor DeSantis. Other examples, Lockheed Martin in an industry where you think this may not be a problem, they had a white men's caucus, which included pro-diversity training about white male privilege and discussions surrounding it. So ultimately, whether big corporations like the ones that I've mentioned or even some small businesses in your neighborhood, they're pushing this woke ideology, and it's really time for this to stop. But the icing on this terrible cake is that critical race theory is also pervasive in our military. The Navy, for example, refused to remove books with CRT in them from their, rate, their reading list. General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, also defended teaching critical race theory at West Point. And when he was pushed on that, when he was criticized for not forsaking that position, he doubled down and actually defended it a second time. This is how pervasive this problem is in our schools, our military, and our corporations. The irony of critical race theory is that its advocates purposefully criticize the civil rights movement. You know, that movement that all of us celebrate, you think about that wonderful speech among others that Dr. King gave on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Each year as, as I reread that with my own kids and used to reread that with my students, I would get chills. I get chills just talking about it here because, as he said, he was delivering, we were delivering that promise of the American founding. And critical race theory advocates forsake Dr. King. They counter almost everything that he stood for because Dr. King, among other problems that he would articulate about CRT, would say, ultimately what this ideology does is reduce us to only our skin color, the very thing he was fighting. But look, there's good news. Americans like you are fighting back. Perhaps you yourself are fighting back. Our school systems are the battleground in this new war, and parents in every state, almost in every county, every public school district, are standing up against this ideology. In particular, states like Florida and Texas have taken steps in their legislatures to block CRT in the classrooms. Parents want this, and as we have seen more recently, 
radical gender ideologies kept out of the classroom. You know, Americans are a pretty tolerant lot. We are very comfortable letting people have the freedom that they want and they deserve up to a point. What we don't want is our kids to be sitting in the laboratories of this radicalism. And that's why I have good news to report, because of efforts that so many parents, perhaps some of you have taken, at speaking up at school board meetings. We have recent victories like the legislative victory in Florida and the wonderful victory of Glenn Youngkin to the governorship of Virginia, propelled primarily by parents' angst over this particular problem. Also, in the good news department, is that the Heritage Foundation, as we always try to do, is equipping you to fight back. You'll see in the show notes that among other uh, subjects for you, other assignments for you, that you can read our ebook on how to spot and fight critical race theory, as well as other guides on how to file Freedom of Information Act requests. That sounds really difficult. It sounds like something the average person can't do, but you fill out a simple form. If you need some help from us at Heritage, we'll help you out, but trust me, you don't need it. And just by doing that, we get to use a tactic that the radical left has used against us for decades. But the real highlight in the good news department is our special guest. Joining me to dive deeper into this challenging issue is Chris Rufo. Chris is an investigative reporter and fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He's a Heritage alum, and he's worked tirelessly to uncover how CRT and woke ideology are creeping into education, the corporate world, and beyond. I can't emphasize just how critical his work and leadership has been in this arena. But before we talk to Chris, here are five myths of critical race theory busted. For years, the United States has been caught in a vicious war. I'm not talking about conflicts with our enemies overseas. The fight is right here at home, in our schools, in the media, in government, and even within the military. The adversary in this war is a small group of radical Marxists bent on undermining our values and tearing down fundamental institutions that are central to our national identity and way of life. Their plan is simple. Attack America's founding ideals and push a Marxist ideology that would forever transform the country. Parents and concerned Americans are fighting back. It is a battle royale for the soul of America, and it is being waged every day in classrooms across the country. Five lies of critical race theory. Lie number one, CRT is not taught in schools. CRT supporters will say it's not being taught in classrooms, that there is no assigned reading on Derrick Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, or Ibram X. Kendi, but make no mistake, theory becomes applied in practice when schools add a new diversity, equity, and inclusivity course to the curriculum or make their students do privileged walks. Not only has CRT been integrated into how history or civics is taught, but educators are also applying CRT's racial bias to math and science. In 2021, the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics recommended to its members a book called Critical Race Theory and Mathematics Education. So when people say CRT is not taught in schools, remember, it's not just about what is being taught, it's also about how schools are trying to warp how we understand the coursework. Lie number two, CRT is just a way to give certain groups a voice. We just want to bring minority voices to the forefront, they say. Well, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, the new Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Winsome Sears, and economist Thomas Sowell, I believe they'd like to have a word with you. Because it's not about giving a voice to the voiceless, it's about shutting down opinions they do not want people to hear. Lie number three, CRT is not Marxist. This one's probably the easiest one to debunk. Critical theory, 
whether it be legal, racial, or gender, comes from what is called the Frankfurt School, a body of theory and philosophy based on Karl Marx's oppressor versus oppressed dichotomy. Lie number four, those opposed to CRT are trying to hide American history. Come on now, we all want American history to be taught. We want students to learn about both times of injustice and triumph. What we don't want is students being taught to discriminate or even be discriminated against themselves. Saying that we oppose CRT because we do not want history to be taught is like saying we're wrong for not wanting math teachers to teach students that two plus two equals five. Lie number five, CRT is just a conservative talking point. It's not just Republicans who are opposed to CRT. Plenty of those who wouldn't even dare call themselves Republicans are opposed to it as well. So again, this is not us versus them. We are not seeking to sow division among party lines. This is a battle between two fundamentally different ways of life. It is between loving your neighbor regardless of what race they are, or viewing one's race as an essential determinant of whether they are a good person or not, of their character. This goes way beyond Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative. This is between what is objectively wrong and what is truly right and just. Those pushing CRT are counting on Americans not educating themselves about the issue, or caring enough to show up and challenge their school boards and administrators. Prove them wrong, know the truth, recognize disinformation, and take action. That is how we win. Chris Rufo, you're one of my favorite people on the planet. You're, you're a modest guy, so you always say that I embarrass you when I say that. But I speak for hundreds of thousands of Americans who thank God above that you decided one day that critical race theory was a scourge on society. We're going to talk about that here in a minute, but that's a long-winded way of saying thanks for everything that you do and thanks for joining me. It's great to be with you. So let's just start there chronologically. You know, we, we at, at what point did you realize that critical race theory was such a problem that you were going to devote a few years of your life to eradicating it? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 a good story. It's kind of a, a sleuthing story. And, uh, you know, my training and my background is as a documentary filmmaker. Uh, and then when I started doing political reporting, I was looking at progressive ideology in cities around issues like homelessness, addiction, crime, mental illness. And uh, my journey on critical race theory began with a simple uh, anonymous tip. Uh, someone said, hey, you need to look at what's happening in the city of Seattle's Office of Civil Rights. They're doing these outrageous training programs where they're separating people on the basis of race, segregating them into groups. Uh, and then telling people all these horrible things uh, that they should think and feel based on their skin tone. And uh, I, I did that story and then it opened up this huge question. Uh, I did that story and then another series of stories following the thread, uh, uncovering what's happening in our institutions, doing the background research, where does it come from, which turned out to be critical race theory. And then it's just following my own curiosity, following this uh, untold story that I that I knew intuitively had uh, was having a huge impact on people's lives, uh, but hadn't been reported, hadn't been discussed, and certainly hadn't been uh, mobilized into an issue uh, in our politics. Yeah, well, thank, thanks again. And, and obviously, there's still some work to be done. And, and it's really that reality that is that there's more work to be done that I want to key in on a, a follow up question with you. And in spite of the progress that's been made, some state laws, I had the pleasure of, of working on a couple of those with you as, as my colleagues at Heritage did. What's left to be done? I mean, this, in other words, it's a question about how pervasive this remains in our society. 
Well, the good news is that legislators are, are taking action, as you said, but the bad news is that uh, the activists and intellectuals who are trying to embed critical race theory in our bureaucracies uh, are, are widespread. It's in K-12 education. It's in the federal, bureau- federal agencies. Uh, it's in our corporate uh, uh, Fortune 100 companies. Um, it's really been taken deep hold in all of the kind of knowledge making uh, and, and bureaucratic institutions in our society. And so we have a, a lot of a lot of way to go on this. And uh, my sense is that we've won the public debate. Uh, the polling data shows that by a two to one margin, uh, uh, Americans oppose critical race theory in schools, for example. Uh, and when you poll people based on a racial demographic, it actually includes parents of every racial background. It's a it's a broad-based, bipartisan, multiracial coalition that says we don't want the principles of critical race theory being taught to our kids. Um, but there still is the problem of the bureaucracy. And this is something that, of course, Heritage Foundation has been grappling with for, for, for many years. But uh, my sense is that with a change in presidential administration, there could be executive action uh, to wipe it out from the, uh, the, 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 the executive agencies. Uh, but I also think that this is something that Congress should take up. There's no reason, for example, that civil rights laws can't be strengthened uh, uh, to protect people from the kind of race essentialism, uh, collective guilt, racialist abuse that characterizes critical race theory in praxis. Uh, and so a lot of those state laws or maybe the state law that just got signed in, in Florida uh, could also be uh, enacted at the federal level uh, sometime in the future. Yeah. So who remains in terms of specific people or specific organizations who are advocating for the, the continued usage of critical race theory in corporate boardrooms or in public settings? Uh, unfortunately, a, a, a long list that we, we wouldn't have time to cover one by one because, uh, you know, it's in I've reported on and have documents from uh, about a third of the Fortune 100 companies. I suspect that the true number, just based on the limitations of my sources, is much higher, probably virtually all of them, uh, if I were to make a, an, an estimate. Um, it's in most of the large K-12 school districts. They've maybe taken out the name critical race theory and called it social-emotional learning or cultural responsive teaching or whatever euphemism du jour uh, they've come up with. Uh, and it's also in our federal government. The federal government is uh, and continues to be uh, the largest single funder of critical race theory, whether through grant making programs, whether through subsidies to uh, public and private universities through our student loan guarantees, uh, or whether through diversity training contracts. Uh, one of the most egregious offenders on critical race theory in the federal government build the U.S. taxpayers more than $5 million uh, teaching federal employees that America is fundamentally racist uh, and that white people need to atone uh, for the sin of having just been born. It's difficult to think about, but in spite of that difficult reality, what would you say are the two or three biggest success stories that that you've been part of or that you've seen? Because you really almost single-handedly ignited this grassroots movement against CRT. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really the, the, the operative phrase. The really key phrase is grassroots movement. And one of the greatest surprises and, and really joys uh, uh, in my recent years has been uh, watching my reporting transform totally unexpectedly into a grassroots movement. And so when I started raising the alarm, when I started telling people what it was, when I gave parents, for example, the vocabulary to start talking about critical race theory, um, you saw all these parents 
They're tired. They're in their work clothes. They show up at the school board meeting after a long day at the office. Uh, and then they're saying, we don't want this being taught to our kids. We want to protect our kids uh, uh, fr from kind of race-based harassment and abuse. We want an honest and complete history of the United States, not this negative one-dimensional condemnation of our country. And this started happening in hundreds and then thousands of school districts around the country, which uh, shows that, to me, the American people still have the instinct for self-governance. Uh, they want to have control over their local institutions. They want to have public institutions reflect the values of the public. Uh, and they want to have a say in what's being taught to their kids. And so, really, I think parents and then, you know, legislators are, are, are they always have their antennas up for what's happening in the public. And so legislators reacted to this grassroots movement, trying to capture some of that energy. And then they got busy in state houses trying to pass bills to serve the, the public. Uh, to serve their constituents, to serve people in their states. And so we had this really amazing confluence of events. You had the parents and the, and the, and the families demanding action. You had legislators responding to the democratic uh, sentiment and democratic will, uh, crafting uh, bills to, to, to meet their needs. Uh, and, and then you had, uh, I think, this uh, democratic experiment of federalism where people said uh, in Texas and Florida and Tennessee, we don't have to have the same education as California and New York. And so what, what, what to me this all signifies is that our republic is working. There are problems in America, uh, but they can be solved through, uh, through getting uh, mobilized uh, and they can be solved through uh, using the democratic process uh, uh, to pass good laws uh, to stop bad behavior. Well, and I want to piggyback on that, your, your point about the republic working in spite of all of the signals that we have our challenges. And, and ultimately, this will lead to the question of what an individual can do. Say someone watching or listening to this interview saying, well, what little thing can I do to, to advocate for the end of CRT? But the context for that is the experience that you and I and, and many colleagues had last year with the Texas legislation where the heritage and the group I was leading at the time, Texas Public Policy Foundation, were both very involved in the crafting of the legislation to end race-based education, critical race theory. And this is the point, Chris, that sort of inside baseball part of it was really important. That is the crafting of the legislation. The legislators having the courage to to say when it was still a little unpopular to be doing this, especially in a southern state, to, for them to stand up. But this is the key point that as we were crafting the legislation, we were also in communication with you. And, you know, here we are on the heels of Twitter, perhaps getting back to objectivity, to being a neutral platform. <laughs> you, with your great Twitter account, were able to sort of, of live tweet about this and say, this legislation is good, this bill is good, but it's not great. We got to put pressure on these legislators to improve it. That really worked. I mean, I, I want to lead, I want to provide that context to lead to this question. People are very discouraged about the Republic. They're very discouraged about their ability as individuals to really make a difference. But our experience in Texas, your experience in Florida and Tennessee, other states would suggest otherwise. Just speak to that in a way of encouraging people who are watching or watching or listening to this interview for them to take action because there is more work to do. Oh, yeah, there, there is more work to do. But but you should absolutely be uh, uh, be encouraged and inspired by what's happening. And uh, I would say this, um, anyone can make a difference on these issues. Uh, if you have limited time or, 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 or limited resources, uh, you can always show up and network with your neighbors, network with other families and parents in your community, show up at those school board meetings, write a letter to your legislator, 
telling them what you think, advocating for your uh, beliefs, and and then getting connected with other people. There's heritage. There's other great groups uh, uh, where where people are fighting and sharing information and getting together. Uh, I think social media is a tremendous tool, uh, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, uh, for getting connected with other other uh, people who are building these grassroots movements. Uh, and, and they actually work. And that's really, you know, I always found that uh, victory is the greatest inspiration for future victory. Uh, and so we've been racking up victories now for 18 months straight. And people should get involved with that. It's fun. It's, it's inspiring. It's, uh, it's, it's successful. It, it helps our kids. It helps our country. Uh, and still have faith in the structures that the founders set for us. I think in many ways we've degraded those structures, uh, uh, certainly uh, around the edges, um, but they still work. And what those structures require is our continuous responsibility and care and participation. And and, and so we hope is not lost. Um, We still have this tremendous opportunity in this country, um, but it's going to take that that leadership that we saw from around the table, like we did in Texas at Heritage and Manhattan Institute and Texas Public Policy, providing intellectual leadership, those grassroots people and families in Texas providing that fire, and then those legislators mediating between the two and trying to do that difficult work of of being prudent in designing laws. Uh, And all those, we all came together and Sometimes I know there's 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 infighting in the conservative movement, but uh, in this case, at least people came together for productive conversation. All of the pieces came together uh, and, and the right thing happened. Well, victory is contagious, right? I mean, one thing that that you and I work on in our respective roles is while recognizing the differences that exist among center right folks, making sure that we're facilitating conversations across the movement because we're a heck of a lot stronger when we're more unified working against these these shared problems. So all of that to say to ask the, the sort of second to last question, if we if we draw back a little bit from critical race theory and think about wokeism more generally, there's this recent huge win in Florida that is, has been billed by the media as being against Disney when in fact, thinking about our more libertarian friends, all that legislation does is just eradicate these carve outs that conservatives and libertarians have been against for years. Speak to how important that victory in Florida is for the movement and for the country. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, this this legislation and I was actually uh, fortunate enough to attend the signing ceremony uh, last week in Florida. Uh, and, and, and talk with Governor DeSantis about the legislation. But, um, you know, he did something that took a lot of courage um, that maybe transgressed some of the some of the kind of uh, 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 values of our libertarian friends. Um, but his point was simply this. Uh, Disney entered politics. Uh, it's a California based company that promised to overthrow and overturn uh, legislation that was passed by the democratically elected legislature of Florida. Um, and then it, uh, it, it really forfeited uh, uh, the right to have the sweetheart deal they negotiated decades ago. And so the, 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 the pushback serves two purposes. One, it serves as a check on and a warning to woke capital to say Republicans and conservatives are not simply going to just uh, crumple uh, before you, uh, uh, no matter what you do, no matter what kind of values you're trying to promote, no matter what kind of political role you're trying to play, there will be a price uh, that we're going to set on woke capital. Uh, but also, in a way, it's a free market, uh, a pro-free market bill. Uh, Disney had essentially a sovereign state uh, within the state of Florida. They had a self-governing status. 
uh, that was not offered to any of their competitors like SeaWorld or Legoland or the other theme parks in the area. And so by removing that special status, in a way, you could describe it maybe to our libertarian friends as eliminating a cronyist carve out, a special exemption um, and, and creating a level playing field. Uh, so that the competitors have the equal status. And so I think personally it's defensible on kind of libertarian free market grounds. Uh, but more importantly, uh, I think that it's defensible because conservatives need to realize that uh, companies have essentially felt that they, have, um, they can get whatever they want from the political right. They're getting tax cuts, they're getting deregulation, they're getting self-governing status in Disney's case. And so they th think they can then pander to the left on cultural issues. Um, with no consequences coming from the other direction. Um, but as great presidents, uh, maybe like Teddy Roosevelt showed uh, you know, a century ago, uh, uh, that you, know, you have to put a price on these large uh, actors. You have to make sure they're held accountable and you have to make sure they're, 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 they're contributing to the public good. And so in my mind, Governor DeSantis did exactly that. He satisfies both conditions. Uh, and I think companies across the country are gonna think twice about uh, adopting that woke ideology, the, the ideology of the critical theories. Um, they're gonna think twice because now they know there's a price to pay. And we might put these companies back into some kind of balance where they're really serving uh, that common citizen again. Man, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that explanation. I know our audience will. And while I have a lot of questions I wanna continue to ask you, I'll, I'll ask you one final question that I'm sure is on the minds of people listening and watching, and it's this. Both you and Governor DeSantis share a lot of attributes. One of them, which is striking, is your ability to communicate. In your case, a master storyteller of our movement. And so the question for you, which is really going to be advice for our audience, and I'll be listening intently as well, is what are some of the messaging lessons that you learned from your fight with critical race theory and against wokeism generally that maybe our audience can use as they go out and attend school board meetings, or for that matter, even speak up as shareholders of, of publicly held companies? I think the, the most fundamental point about political communication uh, that I've learned and I've successfully employed is that you have to develop your own language. Never accept the frame of your enemies. Never accept the vocabulary of your enemies. You need to develop your own frame, your own language, your own uh, kind of closed linguistic universe that is charged with, uh, with emotional power, that speaks towards a, cuts through the lies and the euphemisms towards a higher truth, and can connect with people and mobilize them and give them the power of language. And what I've noticed is when parents at the beginning of this movement were scared and timid, they felt like they had to go and then speak out against diversity, equity, and inclusion, all of which sound very nice, very warm, very fuzzy. Um, uh, they, 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 they were timid, they were powerless, they were silenced, their voice was really uh, erased. And then when I said, here's where it comes from, here's critical race theory. Here's the, the principles of critical race theory. Here are the citations. Here are the news stories about what they're really doing in the classroom. Here's the information. Here's the language. Here's, here's uh, the vocabulary that you can use. Here are even some phrases that are, that are powerful and successful. It gave these parents a voice. It made them confident in articulating and then advocating for their kids. Uh, uh, and so the, the, the key thing is um, uh, uh, developing your own language oriented towards truth, 
that taps into public sentiment um, that can really rally people towards action. Uh, and if you can do that, um, uh, you have uh, enormous power over the institutions that would seek to silence you and blanket you in euphemisms. Um, all of those things can be exposed uh, and then destroyed uh, simply by speaking the truth in clear and powerful language. Well, thanks again. Uh, there will be another segment of this show, Chris, which highlights what you just said. But in the meantime, my friend, thanks for your time. Thanks for your patriotism. We look forward to working with you for many decades. Thank you. Big tech is out of control. If they can silence the sitting president, what can they do to you? The Heritage Foundation has been on the front lines fighting for free speech. We spotlight big tech censorship, demand reform, and help you fight for your rights. Heritage was the first conservative organization to reject big tech's money because this is too important. We won't be silenced. Today, we're going to equip you with the tools on how to identify critical race theory and how to fight it in your everyday lives. There are a lot of challenges in American society right now, I understand, but this is one that touches practically every arena that we engage in. And it's also one that if we continue to see victories, we are going to see victories in so many other aspects of American life. So please engage. Five ways to fight it. Five things that are sort of red flags that I really want to key in on. The first is critical race theory's key assertion is that racism is not the result of individual conscious racist actions or thoughts. They'll say that racism is instead systemic and structural. When you hear those words, systemic and structural, that is critical race theory. So let's just go through a hypothetical scenario, but one that isn't so hypothetical. You go to your school district, your school board. So many parents have done this. You ask the innocent question about CRT being taught in schools, and they say, no, it's not taught in schools. And then you ask to get the curriculum. If they are courageous enough to give it to you, I can almost guarantee you that you will see those words, systemic and structural in it. In spite of all of the denials, that's critical race theory, and you need to fight it. Number two, you might hear something along the lines of, American culture is a conspiracy to perpetuate white supremacy. I mean, that alone should stop us in our tracks. And it is so, if these folks were to continue, because it imposes white concepts on people of other races. Just on the other side of Washington, D.C., from where I'm recording this at the Heritage Foundation, at what ought to be a wonderful museum, the Museum of African-American History, they have not one, not two, but three exhibits devoted to exactly this erroneous assertion. Thus, according to this thinking, members of minority groups must retain their cultural habits and never adopt standard practices or norms, no matter how neutral. Now, I'm not suggesting that each of us with our own cultural background should deny those. I'm suggesting that in America, we can do that and also recognize there are certain patterns of behavior, certain customs and business in interacting with one another. This is part of our capital W Western tradition. But you see, when you see some kind of rejection of that, whether minor or major, you're dealing with critical race theory. And also, when you hear these sweet-sounding words, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's time to act. 
If you're the, the, the kind of person who likes to do a lot of reading, although this is, is not entirely academic, my friend and colleague Jay Green has a wonderful series on the Heritage website, we'll put it in the show notes, about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But third, these folks will also say that white privilege means that white people are born with unearned privilege that other Americans are denied. Now, of course, on the surface, this is absurd because there are plenty of white people who are born poor and are not people of privilege. This really signifies to you the Marxist origins of this ideology. And when you hear something that sounds like white privilege, it's time for you to go into action. Fourth, CRT teaches that whites have rigged the system. So the criteria used to measure merit and success in school or the workplace are not objective, but are designed to keep white individuals on top. Anything that sounds like that, it's time to move. And also, any curriculum or training program that says colorblindness is a myth and advocates for eliminating standard measurements of success, including standardized testing for university admissions, for reasons of racial equity, are part of CRT. Finally, I really want to home in on this this word, equity. It sounds great. In fact, there's nothing wrong with the word equity, except for the fact that it's used as a cudgel against all of us who are right-minded, not necessarily just conservative, but right-minded, filled with common sense. Anytime you hear equity, any time, every time you hear equity, you know you're dealing with critical race theory. It sounds like equality. But under CRT, it has become its functional opposite. Equality means equal treatment of all Americans under the law. CRT's equity, however, demands race-based discrimination. So, with those red flags in mind, the way you stop CRT is first to find out what your school teaches, and secondly, speak to your child's teacher and principals. And when they give you the stiff arm treatment, that's when you know that they're hiding something. However nice they seem, however often you see them at the ball game, however well you know them outside the situation at school, if they're not answering your questions, they have something to hide. And the reason they have something to hide is because the entire government-funded school complex, in spite of its noble history, its noble intentions to educate every American child, has been bought and sold by the purveyors of this evil nonsense. So, at Heritage, we want to equip you to fight back. In the show notes, you'll see our analysis about critical race theory. Be sure, if you've not taken a look at that, to do so. Engage with your local school board. And just appoint yourself a whistleblower. You can submit documentation of CRT training at your school or workplace to a slew of places. We'll give you the the links in the show notes. Parents Defending Education. Our guest, Chris Rufo, you'll see the link to his website. You can also email us directly at our media platform, The Daily Signal, at the email address that you see there. But I want to commend to you one book in particular from my heritage colleague and friend, Jonathan Butcher. It's called Splintered. Splintered describes the truth of how critical race theory has hijacked the U.S. education system on every level. This is the book you need to buy and read. And I will tell you that once you read it, two things will happen. First, you'll realize how bad and sinister this is. And secondly, I guarantee that you will be inspired to do even more than you already are. In closing, as we always like to do, we're going to hit hard in the show, and we did this week with critical race theory, but I hope we gave you some solutions of how you can be part of fixing this problem. 
In a special way, I want to thank my friend and guest, Chris Rufo. And I want to thank you for taking the time to join us and also thank you for being willing to listen to some possible solutions that you can participate in. Please don't forget to subscribe to The Kevin Roberts Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please give the show a five-star rating while you're at it. And tell a friend. Our movement is for everybody because our solutions are for everybody. Take care, and we'll see you next week.